0: You're listening to the Center for Auto Safety podcast with Acting Executive Director Michael Brooks, Chief Engineer Fred Perkins, and hosted by Anthony Simino. For over 50 years, the Center for Auto Safety has been working to make cars safer. Find out more at autosafety.org.
1: Okay. Fred, you can
0: hear us okay? I sure can, yeah. Great. Great.
1: All right. So let's uh, start up episode two. And Michael sent me an email yesterday with some great ideas, which is we're going to talk a lot about acronym soup and a whole bunch of stuff that a whole bunch of nomenclature that the average person won't have access to. So let's start off explaining things like (laughs) what is NHTSA and is it good on a salad? (laughs) So, um, you know, I've
2: never tried it on a salad, but NHTSA, is an acronym that stands for the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. And they are an agency under the Department of Transportation that is basically in charge of making sure that all the cars on the road are safe. Um, How they do that is a number of different ways. Um, They have an enforcement wing that you probably know most about because of recalls on your vehicle. Um, they have a wing for compliance and standards that basically sets all the basic safety standards that cars have to meet before they're sold and then uh, actually a lot of their budget, uh, probably two-thirds of their budget goes towards state grants and towards programs like alcohol um, prevention, driving uh, drunk prevention, seatbelt, uh, texting awareness, those types of programs. So that's that's a kind of in a nutshell who Nits is and what they do, and you will probably hear that acronym more than any other acronym on this on this show.
1: Okay, and so as we were talking last week, it seems like they're a little behind the curve when we're talking about battery electric vehicles because there's no standards around that stuff. So how how far are they behind the the technological curve?
0: Well, I can tell you that the British Standards Institute. Uh, which is of course in the united kingdom just published a standard called uh, assuring the operational safety of automated vehicles specification so it goes soup to nuts on what a company should do in order to have as safe as possible uh, the test of automated vehicles or the use of the vehicles on a highway Uh, there's nothing like this in the united states and in fact most recent document related to it from the NHTSA annulled the previously issued uh, very weak guidelines that had been put in place a couple of years previously. So where there's a tremendous vacuum in the United States, there's a comprehensive document from uh, the UK that covers that same ground.
1: So is the US generally a laggard on global safety with automotives or how does that work?
0: Yeah, very much so. The U.S. attitude has been that industry as a carte blanche to do what it wants to do. There is uh, state regulations. Each state has to pass its own standards and develop its own procedure for allowing the test of automated vehicles on their highway. But there is no national standard at all for how that gets done. The only standard that comes into play is the ability of NHTSA under the Department of Transportation to provide a waiver to existing, another acronym, FMVSS, Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards. Um, These are required by many automated vehicles because for example, FMVSS requires that you have a human driver. If there's no human driver, you need to get a waiver. So that's the only mechanism that's been used in the United States so far to address the safety of autonomous vehicles or testing self-driving vehicles, basically just to waive the standards that are in place to let the companies go ahead and proceed with testing. Far behind the rest of the world.
1: That's amazing. All right, so I wanna jump into another- On that, I'll add too, you know,
2: it's it's somewhat of a a phenomenon the last, you know, 15 to 20, years or so that we that the United States has ended up in that position. I would say that there were a lot of um, a lot of success in vehicle design and and road safety in the United States up until the last few years we've seen the fatality rates significantly rise in America while dropping um, in the EU and and the UK. So there's there's that's due to a lot of reasons. Many are political. Some have to do with the agency not following through on rulemakings and safety standards that are dozens of years old. Um, so there's there's a um, yes, they're behind right now, and um, I think they're trying to catch up at the moment. They've got a big job ahead of
1: them. Wait, so has that always been the case? Because you know you grow up in in the U.S. and you hear about this guy named Ralph Nader, who right? Made everybody put airbags and seatbelts in cars. Was the U.S. leading at one point?
2: Yeah, we were, I think absolutely we were leading at one point. And, you know, you started to see the, the beginnings of kind of the new era with, with the uh, Honda and Toyota's entry in the market back, I think, in the late 70s and 80s. That, that, that started to change things. And now you see, you know, Toyota at some years is outpacing GM as the number one manufacturer. So that there's been a lot of change in the area.
1: Okay. So let's jump onto another uh, acronym that's always in there for, to help people follow better. So when it comes to crash testing, you always hear IIHS. Um, and is that just some made-up initials because just that some people don't pay attention? And that that is the Insurance
2: Institute for Highway Safety. And um, they're primarily funded by the um, insurance companies. And they, which is, you know, they, they one of the great things about them is they have access to a lot of data that insurance companies have, which allows them to conduct, conduct some pretty, um, you know, mm-hmm. powerful studies on on things that you know the government and that that we don't have access to that data. So it's that's one of their their strengths is their big source of, of data. Um, they also are speaking of NHTSA being behind, they're they're ahead of NHTSA in crash testing in a lot of areas right now. Um, They do crash test ratings and rankings in a similar way to what you see with uh, NHTSA and to some extent consumer reports. And they have a, um, you know, they've done a really good job in updating some of the tests over the last 20 years to protect folks and vehicles where NHTSA hasn't been able to keep up. So um, they perform a very important role in in vehicle safety.
0: And let me add that they also have done on-road testing of self-driving features and automated driver assistance features. Uh, They've taken cars out on the highways in Virginia and gone over cresting hills and all that and have determined experimentally that a lot of these features don't work particularly well in certain circumstances, particularly when a uh, self-driving vehicle or vehicle that's implementing some self-driving features goes over the crest of a hill because of course it can't see what's on the other side of the hill. And so it tends to be unstable as it crests the hill. Um, This is kind of important because sometimes there's people on the other side of the hill. So they're very far ahead of the United States government in their testing of on-road usage of automated vehicles. Um, It's also important to note that they do a great job for what they do, but they don't have the resources of the federal government, of course because they're privately funded. So they tend to be, in a sense, vertically deeper than the U.S. government, but not as broad laterally in terms of the, the coverage of the numbers of cars that they can investigate.
1: So, so who do auto manufacturers look to when they're designing safety features? I mean, so if, if NHTSA is the, the government and they're setting some sort of standard, but if the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety is doing more involved testing, like, You'll see in com- commercials this gets a five-star IIHS rating or four-star NHTSA. So is it just marketing, or if what- they're smart, they're looking at both um,
2: okay. because they can. They can. First of all, a lot of there's a lot of NHTSA's version of the crash test is called NCAP, which is another acronym we'll hear a lot. That's the New Car Assessment Program, and it's being updated right now, but. It's not being updated in a way that that really is going to allow it to evaluate a lot of the, the crashworthiness of vehicles in the way that the IHS tests are doing. So they're somewhat competing, but also I believe they're they're trying to make those two programs a little more complementary, so that they can you know ferret out more problems and maybe make uh, a few more discriminatory um, points when folks are looking at vehicles.
0: It's important to note, though, that NCAP is, once again, behind a lot of the rest of the world. Notably, the U.S. NCAP is behind European NCAP. So European NCAP includes tests for safety of pedestrians in a crash. It includes ratings of cars that are associated with people in different positions, more positions than in the U.S. cars. Uh, includes ratings for the safety of the pedestrians who get involved in a crash. And, um, you know, they're just, they're just better. Another problem with the U.S. tests though, is that essentially all the cars end up with either four or five stars. So you as a Mm -hmm. consumer have no way of determining which are the better ones and which are the worst ones. Another problem with that though, is that since it doesn't give particular prominence to the cars that do a really good job and some do better than others, then it reduces the incentive for car companies to invest in additional safety features if on the other hand it was you know more more of a spread between the bottom end and the top end of cars that they tested there would be more incentive for companies to invest in safer cars because they would show more prominently in the safety ratings
1: so do car manufacturers so if europe has stronger standard they need more testing Wouldn't they be just making uh, an automobile to that, hey, that works in Europe, it passes these standards, and just duplicating that same car in the U.S.? Or do they go ahead and they do something different or add less features?
0: Well, it can be different. Uh, There's an initiative right now through the United Nations, another acronym, UNECE, United Nations European uh, Council on Economics, which is seeking to harmonize world standards for vehicles in general and automated vehicles in particular. Um, It's an ongoing study and it's an ongoing project because the standards are not harmonized. In general, the US ratings on cars are for US standards because they have to have what's called a Monroney label that lists the number of stars and has to conform to US standards. So you'd have to dig deeper into the car ratings if you wanted to know what the european ratings are and how they uh, discriminate because the tests are different of course you know it's to some extent apples and oranges if you want to compare those cars
1: so they're making they're designing a different vehicle for the different markets is what you're saying because from a just a cost you know situation it makes sense to design you know one Toyota Corolla and use the same design around the world
0: to the most extent that they can but because the regulations are different different areas they need to make certain design changes responsive to those different markets
1: so it's not like the u.s where with emission standards california being the largest u.s car market says hey we have these very high emission standards and so the manufacturer is just like let's just design our emissions for the entire u.s that way
0: it's, yeah that's correct the, the european market and asian markets are themselves big enough so that it makes sense for the car companies to design for those markets uh, individually. The U.S. car market is, of course, consolidated in the U.S. and is very large, but it's slightly different than what you're going to see in uh, the Asian markets in general and the European markets in general.
2: Okay. And And we'll often see circumstances where the European vehicles that are being brought into America, you know, Americans receive the benefits mm -hmm. of, some of the increased standards in Europe because they meet the minimum standards that we have in the United States, but they also meet the minimum standards which exceed ours that they have in Europe. So um, you'll see things like better pedestrian protection, better headlights and some other things coming from Europe um, that that exceed America's standards and and provide some benefits to American drivers that own those vehicles.
1: So I imagine with China and India becoming... Possibly the largest auto markets in the future. How are their safety standards? We haven't looked a lot into the safety standards in China, uh,
2: mainly because I don't know if they're even open to look at. Um, We have enough problems getting information out of NHTSA. (laughs) Um, And I, I, I similarly, you know, we've looked into. I think as part of the Hyundai Kia stuff, we were looking into the the Korean. safety regulatory market. And it's it's difficult, it's really difficult. Not many countries have the kind of system we have in America where you have an agency that's in charge of this. Um, there are varying degrees of agency independence and no agency at all, no consumer protection at all in some countries. So every country is a little different.
0: We can also tell you though that those companies in those countries are participating in development of international standards. Uh, some of the committees that I'm on in the International Standards Organization, for example, include representatives from uh, New Zealand, Japan, Korea, China, as well as the United States and Europe. Uh, it gets to be interesting scheduling meetings because, of course, they're spread all over the world, and so somebody's got to get up at three o'clock in the morning. Um, but they do, and you know they're participating. But I would, you know, I c- can't say that any particular group is dominant. In those meetings. And it's also true that those international standards are not universally adopted by the world. So it's still pretty much a local market for a lot of things. I mean, one obvious example, of course, is that cars sold in Great Britain have to have left have to have a right-hand driver position. Okay. So that's, you know, just one example of how the standards differ in different countries. Another one, as Michael alluded to, is the adaptive headlight features that are current in Europe that allow the headlights to automatically adjust their beam structure uh, for the benefit of their drivers and to the, actually to the benefit of oncoming cars as well. That's only just this year been accepted by the United States. So once again, behind and what's universally thought of as a beneficial standard.
1: Is, is there anybody pushing back against these standards or is this is this, Fred, from your perspective, is this more of just engineers kind of getting together to come up with the best standards that will work? Or is it more of a political issue of people saying, ah, no, we don't want seat belts?
0: Well, you're always coming up against the requirement for investment and in new technology. So uh, most businesses will push back against regulations that require them to make significant investments any new technology because it takes time energy and and money to do that Um, but it's an interesting connection because a lot of the standards that are being developed industry standards like through the SAE which stands for used to stand for Society of Automotive Engineers the uh, IEEE Institute of Electrical Electronics Engineers they're pretty much composed of volunteer Um, engineers dominated by the car companies, and nobody gets paid to do that. So in order to participate in that, you've really got to have a funding source that allows you to participate. Um, Those standards are often accepted by the government in default of the government's own standards. And because of their funding structure, those are typically heavily dominated by the automobile companies that have an interest in what those regulations say and do. So it turns out we're participating in some of those as well, but there is that interesting connection between the industry support for industry standards, which makes sense. And their adoption by the government in lieu of government's own standards for overlapping uh, technical interests.
1: All right. So um, as it's fascinating, it sounds like this is primarily being driven by industry with, at least the U S government being kind of a step behind taking their lead from industry, which hasn't always worked out that great.
2: Well, it, you know, sometimes it makes sense because I don't think we want NHTSA designing the actual technology. So someone has to, someone has to be doing that. And, and so there's always going to be some lag. I mean, I think where we see where we get the most frustrated is when we see a safety product that's available and is cheap to install and it's being slowly distributed out as an option that makes the manufacturer more profits rather than being put on all the cars at once. Um, We see that as kind of a, a failure, a moral failure, if you will, on the manufacturer's part, not to be making that type of technology available immediately. Um, and we see that a lot, you know, with, with parts and prices that are, you know, under a dollar, $5 per car when you could see a significant life savings. And so that's, that's one of the areas where there's, there's going to always be some lag time between the development of the technology and actually being able to put safety performance standards on it. Um, that's necessary. It's. It's, you know, what bothers us most is when you go too long without a performance standard of some sort to ensure that the, the, even the worst one coming off the line is safe. And then, in addition to that, we want them to have a, a, um, more capabilities. So that's essentially how that works.
1: Yeah. Because, like, in the case of airbags, airbags were what invented in the 70s, if not earlier, and they didn't become requirements till what, 1990?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the patent for those was even earlier than that, uh, maybe even the 50s, but um, oh, wow. they started to be put into vehicles and tested, I know, in the 70s for sure. Okay, but it wasn't a requirement in the U.S. until, like, the late 80s, early 90s, right? Right, right. Okay. And that's just for the frontal airbags, too. <laughs> um, you also see there is no requirement for side airbags, but there is a side air- airbag um, impact standard that when you use airbags makes it a whole heck of a lot easier to pass. Um, and it's very difficult for vehicles to pass them without the, without the side airbags.
1: Wait, so all cars, cause every car now has, I, I think every car sells with, with side airbags. There's airbags everywhere. And, and it's only required for the, the driver or just the front seats. Or... You know, uh, come on, I, don't I, tell I, me you know don't know.
2: Yeah. I, I know it's only the front <clears> seat <throat> um, because rear seats are just, horribly tested and protected in america although we don't see a lot of you know because in the data the there's one person driving usually and if you look at crash data it's almost many of the crashes you come across are going to be single passenger one car driver so there's there's always been an emphasis on protecting the driver first because obviously the most safety gains it can come from protecting the vehicle in the place where someone's almost always going to be and they've spread out across the vehicle from there so the back seat lags behind um side impact protection is conducted from both sides but i i, I couldn't tell you right off the top of my head um if there's protection on the passenger side testing as well, but
0: well let me dive, let me go a little vertical on that because One of the things that's important to note about the testing of cars with airbags is that those tests are being done on ATDs, anthropometric test devices, aka uh, test dummies, that are modeled on a 50% male and a 5% female in the passenger seat. So an average male behind the driver's seat and a very small female on the passenger side. Okay, that's the standard for tests. There are very few people who are 50% males and there are very even fewer people who are 5% females. So there, it's really a misrepresentation of the uh, population at large. Uh, larger and smaller dummies are available. Uh, test devices that represent uh, children, elderly people, obese people, they're all available. Uh, they're not being incorporated in the U.S. tests. This is something that, that we've commented on in some of our responses to NHTSA. But it's important to note technically that people with different body types have different responses to airbags and seatbelts. And we can go into a lot of detail on that some other the time. But just let me say that the, the testing that's done, even when it's uh, provided in the test results is very limited in terms of the scope of body types that are being considered. So, you know, there are options available, but even with the airbags, there's a lot of options available by the uh, manufacturer that are not required. One example is an inflatable seatbelt. Okay, so there's a, what you can have is uh, with a conventional seatbelt, three-point seatbelt is that you've got this trap coming across your chest it's just the strap. Studies have shown that if you use an inflatable seatbelt, belt, which had, essentially has an airbag built inside of it so that in the event of a crash, it inflates and dramatically softens the impact of the seatbelt. it can have a very beneficial effect, particularly on elderly people and uh, people who, with fragile skeletons because it eliminates a lot of the crushing forces that you would have. There is no requirement to do that. There are some companies that have put those into their cars, but once again, they don't get any credit for doing that. So it's an extra cost to them. They get no benefit from it in terms of the ratings, even though it is a much safer car than a car that doesn't have that particular feature. So gets back to how the ratings are presented and how they're all clustered in that four and five star group.
1: So with the, the crash test dummies, does the uh does the insurance institute for highway safety do they try with different size models and children and things like that
0: they do in different positions and in in different cars but um and they do a great job with that certainly much more than the u.s government does but there's limited in scope again by the resources they've got and the capital cost of acquiring and instrumenting these test devices
1: Okay, you imagine the U.S. government has essentially unlimited funds. What's the, what's the reason for not doing this? Just is this, is this where we get into legislation and legislators being like, hey, let's not really test her?
0: I don't think the legislators address it in that kind of atomic detail or, or that much detail. Um, I think it's got more to do with the fact that the regulations exist for certain specified body types and that there has never been sufficient pressure on the government to include other body types in those requirements. Again, the FMVSS, Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards. If those standards were changed to include other body types, then the test engineers would probably include those other body types. Something we've been pushing for, but something that hasn't happened yet.
1: Okay. Is there any, besides the Center for Auto Safety, is there anyone else, you know, is there a constituency that's pushing this or is it, is that, is that what's missing? Is just, there's not enough consumer involvement around this.
2: You know, I've seen, there, there, there are some groups that are, that are pushing that as their only issue. I, I believe I saw one that was headed up by an ex Congresswoman or two recently. Um, but the problem there, when you really dig into it, is that the There's just not enough data on injury severity to all of these different categories of people. We have a real data challenge there. Um, And that's the data that goes into making the injury criteria for the different size dummies. And we continually hear that these dummies take not five years, but 10 years plus maybe two decades to develop, and we we think if we had better data, that period could be shortened and we could start to get these new size dummies into place and into back seats so that we'd get a more representative sample. Um, but that's a really large challenge right now for the agency.
0: And, um, you know, the, the question is, where's your next dollar going to go, right? And if I were in control, I'd say the next dollar should go into tall elderly people because it happens to be tall and elderly, okay? but not everybody else is. So I, th- I think that that's part of the challenge for Nitsa as well. Where should your next dollar go? You know, if there were more money put into developing these test dummies, then certainly there'd be more of them available. It takes a long time to develop them, yes. But that's at least partly because of the amount of resources developed or dedicated to their development.
1: Okay, so we've covered a, a good deal of acronym soup. We've got NHTSA, IIHS, SAE, NCAP. Um, who else do we need to cover? The and most drivers know about the Department of Transportation. Don't really know what it does except maybe fix a pothole or two. Do they are they involved in auto safety at all?
2: Yeah, they they take kind of the the oversight, the leading role over NHTSA on some of the more important initiatives, but most of the vehicle safety work is coming out of NHTSA. Um, There are are also a couple of other agencies that are involved. Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, FMCSA, they do um, work with heavy trucks. There's the um, NTSB, which uh, has been very active in pushing NHTSA to do better over the last few years. That's the National um, Transportation Safety Board. and then beyond, you know, groups, there's also a lot of acronyms that are important to know, like, what is ADAS and what is ADS, because that's, that's something people commonly confuse, um, you know, when we, when we start talking about advanced crash avoidance systems and driverless self-driving, autonomous, robot cars, whatever you want to call them, there's a whole nother level of complicated acronyms to cover, um, but that's something we'll probably get to another episode.
0: The Center for Auto Safety is the nation's premier independent, member-driven, non-profit consumer advocacy organization dedicated to improving vehicle safety, quality, and fuel economy on behalf of all drivers, passengers, and pedestrians. Visit autosafety.org to donate today.